0: You're listening to Asset Arrest, helping you see the most exclusive parts of the city. Hello
1: and welcome to episode 8 of Asset Arrest, a podcast in which each episode centres around a viewing of a different luxury property that I, Laura Yule, attend with a different invited guest each time. So far, I've been looking at the high end of residential property in London and Berlin, the type that's largely being marketed towards a global audience looking to invest. This episode continues my tour of Berlin with a trip to Uberland Tower at Schlossstrasse 80 in Steglitz, which is in the southwest of the city. I visited this property with artist Sema Bekarovitch, who I met through my residency at ZKU Center for Art and Urbanistics. Sema's work has been described as playful conceptualism and is inspired by biology, philosophy, and science. It deals with the supposed difference between culture and nature and the obtaining of and letting go of control. She's interested in emergence or how human, animal and other objects function as systems within a network and thinks it's important that we as human objects place ourselves in a more modest position in relation to other living and non-living objects. So we'll be talking about a couple of her recent and ongoing projects but do check out our website which is linked to in the podcast description to find out more about her amazing work. The development we went to see has taken an old office block and is renovating it into one of Berlin's highest residential blocks. It was nowhere near finished and was barely even a shell of a construction lacking even in walls at this point. I had to face my fear of heights as we donned hard hats and were taking up a shaky metal lift to the 26th floor to admire the spectacular views across the city. We were running late before. For the viewing so the whole conversation this time was recorded after the viewing this was also our second viewing together as i had stupidly managed to record silence during our first one but more about that viewing later let's hear what the brochure has to say before we join sema at a charming cafe near the development in Steglitz.
0: 120 meters high 30 floors 330 luxury condos Located on one of the artilleries of the capital, the U-Berlin is a real prestige object and a milestone on the way to the re of big cities. The graceful silhouette of the building is underscored by its translucent façade. The renowned architecture firm will mainly use glass, aluminium and steel here. Various shops for daily needs, health, office and leisure are integrated into the likewise redesigned base of the U-Berlin Tower. As a cosmopolitan, you live the pulse of the times and love the bustle of the big city. U-Berlin is located on one of the artilleries of the capital, Schlosseris. In addition, U-Berlin has another bonus, the proximity to one of Berlin's most famous oasis of well-being, the Botanical Garden. Only a few minutes' walk away, you will find one of the most biodiverse green areas in the world. Enjoy the lively life right on the Lase, one of the most famous shopping streets in Berlin. Let it taste in the various restaurants and take part in the great arts and cultural offerings. And if you want some peace, retire to your condo or the Biotanical Garden. Also in the immediate vicinity are the Free University of Berlin. FU and the Benjamin Franklin Hospital. Hi
1: Semma, thanks for um, joining me on the viewing of U-Berlin, we're in Steglitz, we've just been to view a very unfinished residential block that's being being developed, that's going to be the tallest residential tower in Berlin so far. It was in a complete state of not being finished, what did you think of this apartment? The
2: view was amazing, we were we saw one floor, we saw the 13th floor and the 25th yeah, floor I guess. Yeah, a
1: showroom on the 13th floor and then the 25th floor which is the second from the top and mm-hmm. was the level that I had expressed interest in which had an incredible view like really amazing being the tallest person.
2: Yeah, one well, th- one side was very interesting because it was like super green like you just saw like trees, 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 trees and the other side was kind of the opposite, real kind of urbanic feel. You saw the Alexander Tower that supposedly is this huge selling point. I was not so attracted to that side with the highway and Oh right, white. yeah,
1: but he seemed to think it's a better investment if you have a view of, of, of of the yeah. landmarks
2: to just confirm themselves every morning that they're. Actually that I am in Berlin. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I guess it works for selling to people in other countries who are just buying the idea of owning part of Berlin.
2: Yeah, I mean, also it, I could imagine like if you wanted to rent it out for short stay. Yeah. That would be like a major selling point. You
1: know, it's interesting. He says that they basically, before they even started building the project, were doing these like sales tours in Asia where they were selling off these 30 square meter units as like investment opportunities.
2: And it was basically like the candy you find next to the counter in the supermarket. Like he was just like, yeah, people didn't even think about it. They just grabbed a bunch. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And then like they either sit empty, I guess, or they're rented out as these kind of short stay apartments that people can i don't know business people students rent out and
2: contradictory to that he also said that every buyer buy a maximum of 3 apartments so
1: yeah he was making a big point of the fact that they are not as bad as other people and they're not um selling off huge swathes yeah. of apartments to like one investor or to like a corporate landlord basically and that most people buying them blah 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 are going to live there yeah, <laughs> the usual yeah. crap that they always say yeah. i mean as if he really knows or cares you know if you've got the money to buy it then they don't really care what you're doing and then he's also, I mean, what I found probably the most disgusting part of it was him talking about how, oh, you know, uh, a new building like this, you know, it's great because the the same regulations around rent and uh, refurbishment and all the kind of like laws that are there to protect people don't apply yeah. because it's a new building. You
2: can just rent it out so for as can, much as yeah, you like. Set the Literally. price at what
1: you want. And the way that the developer got to do this was by, what did he say? He used a really weird phrase, like, they had to do something nice for the community. So they built two kindergartens. Two
2: kindergartens.
1: Which yeah.
2: yeah, it's a weird exchange. Yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's like two kindergartens. That's quite small in comparison to a building that has three hundred apartments in it.
2: Maybe a huge kindergarten,
1: <laughs> tower blocks. Tower
2: like. block. Holland, there's this term "fastgoed cowboys." Literally means property cowboys. Like he was classic case of the property cowboy. He was telling us that he didn't like school. When yeah, he was yeah. 17, he saw people like... With, with suits and suits cars. He cars, found out that they were selling property. In Holland, they would all sell drugs. <laughs> wear suits. In Brighton uh, apparently they sell Brighton, property. They sell property. <laughs> Kids of nineteen, twenty years old selling property, yeah. wearing suits. Um, and he
1: was like, and you know, it turns out it turned out you didn't need any qualifications or knowledge to do yeah. this job. Like, yeah. no shit, yeah. You just have to charm people and
2: yeah. I don't know what to say. I just find the whole thing so depressing.
1: Yeah. Well okay let's let's talk about something else. So we met at ZKU where you've been in residence for five months. Yeah. Um, and you're working on a book called mm-hmm. Reading by Osmosis. Nature um,
2: interprets us is the second title.
1: So maybe we can talk a bit about that.
2: Yeah, yeah it's a research project. It, well, it started actually with me being asked to uh, curate a show in a quite nice exhibition space at, uh, in Amsterdam called Het House. This is like this huge modernist glass pavilion in the middle of a park. And then I just had this kind of funny idea to see if I could create an exhibition with only non-humans. And I started kind of collecting all kind of objects that were made by different natural forces. But especially things that were coming from the human domain and were transformed by, for example, the wind, birds, etc. So imagine like um, a bird's nest that a crow made out of clove hangers that the crow Mm. stole from a clove rack
1: did they all did every one of them have that mix of like um, man-made and
2: yeah, so this the second title, "Nature Interprets Us," is uh, yeah, it's like really kind of more describes it. So it's like we find, excavate, select like stuff from nature, of course, to make all our products and what whatsoever. Of course, there's no division between us and nature, but this is just kind of it's it's more kind of a mind game to kind of instead of saying just like there's no division to see like you know just to, to see what happens when you you turn this kind of roles around. Anyway, so we take like you know cut wood dig holes to find whatever elements but at a certain point like sooner or later there will be always this moment where all these objects are reclaimed back by different natural forces be it like rust or be it like a crow stealing your clove hanger so this kind of matter is like it's like temporarily used by us but we are of course also not like the end end game like you know so it's just a kind of circulation and then I like researching like all these different forces and entities and like dogs and mice but also the wind and the rain they all have this kind of agency and a kind of strategy to reclaim this object and out of this kind of strategies like how the wind blows or how the sea uh, craves into the rocks or whatever like all this kind of skill sets i'm approaching as kind of aesthetic practices or i'm looking like aesthetic outcomes of different skill sets of different natural forces and then I've been working with a philosopher called Mike, Michael Martyr who wrote also a piece for me that's going to be in the upcoming uh, book that we're making and he uh, talks about like you know if we think of art as coming like from the sub or unconscious like think like surrealist that we're already kind of you know talking about art coming from this dream state and that idea combined with the idea like the realization that our free will is like super limited like, through like neuroscience we more and more find out that our free will is actually more construction afterwards Mm. than actually a motivation to do anything he is saying like okay so art making can be seen as a subconscious unconscious practice and is in this sense kind of more rhizomatic than uh, controlled by a certain will or soul or whatever Mm. and if we kind of accept that line of thinking then there's no reason not to expand the idea of art making like to spend it to the non-human yeah world so and that's, do you
1: agree with that or like do you think that is the case with humans making art
2: I for me it's not so really important like if I agree or not I just more see it like what is the consequences of thinking in this way and what can it bring us I do think like okay if we are accepting that we are also just a bunch of processes working and being worked at I mean all these processes are also influencing our bodies and our body is are also you know it's kind of also like a lot of conflicting processes that are continuously going on i mean it's more if we expand this idea to ideas of culture and stuff i mean how would we position ourselves maybe like in a less anthropocentric way or more yeah seeing different agents and kind of appreciating them and in, on like different levels and also kind of relativizing ourselves like that we're not like this end game but just in this whole system of different processes uh, mm. Yeah.
1: and like who do you think is the best artist of all the non-humans? <laughs> do you have like a favorite non-human artist or like a few favorites? Yeah, sort? so th-
2: if I've been collecting a lot of objects for over a year now some stuff come from museums and a lot of stuff I just find but it's just now very interesting that you really see like okay, for example for example, I have tons of stuff that's overgrown by moss, uh, like football, shoes, sweaters. So, and then you really kind of see, like, oh yeah, kind of moss is, has this certain tactics. For example, I have this football, and it has this like six sides shape, you know, like uh, a yeah, yeah. Hex- yeah, hexagon thing. And the moss doesn't like the flat leather, but the corners of the hexagons they're from kind of glue, which I guess is porous, mm. so it kind of sucks up water. So then the moss is just following that exact path to kind of take over the ball and that I find very like uh, beautiful this you see there are kind of strategies involved it's not just kind of random like okay we are making conscious decision and other natural processes are just doing like random chaotic shit because you just see like within these processes there is like you know it's Mm -hmm. like very very specific and it will not grow on another surface and certain patterns arise and some aesthetic uh, is coming out of it and often this aesthetic really looks like contemporary art.
1: Yeah, um, maybe we can talk quickly about your tree plane,
2: tree. What, what's this project <laughs> called? Uh, International Forest.
1: Which maybe operates through slightly similar like sneaky loophole kind of like methods of, of kind of Almost infiltrating some kind of framework or system.
2: Yeah, yeah. This was was very, the thing that really attracts me from to your project. It's like you know, there's all this kind of fixed systems in society, and somehow it's very hard to break break out this kind of the logic of things. You know, you, mm. when you go to the dentist, you go to the dentist, and when you know <laughs> things are set up in a certain way, and, and yeah. I think a lot of it is also I mean it's a kind of nudging that we're not aware of that we're just going like through the patterns and we follow certain routes yeah and I find it super interesting to kind of break this pattern and just kind of you know infiltrate and kind of see. Yes, yeah, just finding out how systems work by just basically like infiltrating into
1: mm, Just putting something in there yeah. and seeing what happens to it.
2: And somehow that's always very tiring because getting out of your comfort zone is just So like you've
1: been, well not just you but you and people you know have been basically checking trees you find as luggage on flights, international flights. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I basically just find like huge branches or trees the biggest one was 5 meter 40 and I just checked them in as checked luggage 5
1: meter 40 is the the maximum limit of... yeah uh,
2: mm. and then uh, I checked them in for example like uh, sports gear a canoe can be 5 meter 40 for example mm. and I arrive at the airport uh, mostly with some assistance because these things are quite big and <laughs> I just carry this tree in you can... and how
1: do they react they're yeah, like confused obviously confused
2: a lot of jokes is it your tree they're never
1: suspicious though. So, like
2: uh, well I had like I, I mean it takes me if when I just entered the, the airport there's just a lot of random people saying things like is it your dog's birthday or whatever you know but when I'm actually gonna check in the plane that takes forever because you know this person at the saying at the sitting at the desk uh, it's just you know it doesn't know how to, to deal with this situation and mm. uh, every airport and airline is also dealing different so they mostly call their superiors uh, before you know it you're like s- surrounded with like six people discussing like what to do do mm. with and but she, but she already paid for it and then the whole discussion starts if the tree has to be packed so in some airports you have to pack the tree or the you ranch. always
1: take it unpacked though i as just a take this yeah i just
2: a be- <laughs> bear <tree. laughs> bear tree. and i try to convince them not to pack it because i actually like it when it's just going
1: and they've never refused to.
2: No, but sometimes they force me to pack it, and then they take me to this plastic wrappers, and they wrap oh, yeah. it, and they and and then it just becomes like huge Morphe plastic shape, and yeah, I check it in like that, and then I just kind of accept it like that, and they put like all these stickers on it, and it uh, comes out mostly in like. Uh on the other side, uh, at unusual sizes, or how is that called? Uh,
1: oh, uh, oversized Overs- or like, yeah, unusual sizes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oversized yeah, like luggage. luggage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird luggage. Yeah.
2: And it started as a kind of fun pro- project, but then, you know, it's become, it became kind of more interesting when I started to take bigger and bigger things, because I really felt like this is like the limit of, these are kind of these machines, these airports, these are like this whole system and they are set up to process certain things and obviously i bring something that is not set up to process hmm. and then this whole system is just kind of Trying to define, like, what is this and how we do it with, like, how, how, yeah, how, how do we approach this? And um, why,
1: why is someone bringing this? Yeah. This is not normal. Yeah. This, but do you think, I mean, I guess, I guess you don't take enough flights to really, I mean, like, impact the airline industry no. by them, like, bringing in new regulations saying yeah, no trees. I, I had or... some
2: critique on this work because I was flying with trees and flying is bad, blah, blah, blah. But actually, I hardly ever fly, you know, I would fly like once a year or something. And some people might find that a lot, but compared to a lot of other artists and people I know working in this. But yeah, friends take them and my father is very fanatic.
1: Is it stressful, though? I mean, do you feel like you're performing when you're asking to take this tree? Yeah, or has yeah, it just it's stressful.
2: I really have to kind of, yeah, you you have to be in a kind of mindset, especially with a five meter 40 to walk with that in an airport. Literally, yeah. everybody is watching you. And it's just like you really have to kind of breathe yeah, yeah. through that. And
1: airports are stressful yeah, at the best of yeah, times. I mean, yeah. they're just like it's hard to be there in an airport going somewhere without feeling mm. somewhat stressed.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what I think um, yeah, I think it's like uh, this kind of approach. I would like to do more, and it's kind of also inspired. I mean, like doing this with you for already for the second time, I find it like it's kind of tough to do, but it's also super inspiring because you really use the material, like the interior of the city, like the like the the set up structure of uh, this kind of society. Mm. You use that as material for your work to question it, it and yeah, in really not like, a you know, it's kind of in, in, in really, I think in an although you are a complete fraud, I mean, you go, <laughs> but you do it like in honest way, you have like this really straight way of, I mean, you say you're an artist, mm. people can find you out, you know, it's like, and that's also something I find really, uh, yeah. I
1: want them to find, well, yeah, maybe I should say, so we already viewed an apartment together, <laughs> quite a different one, very, very much finished. It had a kind of sunken, erotic pit yeah. <laughs> for yeah. sitting in. And the neighbour was Germany's most famous DJ, whoever the hell that yeah. is, and um, yeah, that was the first time. A- after that viewing, that s- the estate agent sent me an email, being like, oh, he was, "like he just found um, he just found my podcast," and he was really angry because that was going in the direction of fraud. And if I'd asked to speak to him, he may have agreed because he had already made a documentary about an architect or something. But yeah, I don't know. I think for me, at that point, it then it becomes more interesting because you then like yeah they become engaged in your what you like your thing a bit more and also. uh, It's
2: interesting when these worlds meet, I think, like if you just fake it and you pretend to be someone else, then it stays like really on this kind of... Yeah, you know, there's there's no tension. It'd be
1: easy to make up a fake name at a different email address and no one would ever know. But
2: But in a way, you give them also the chance to find you out and to understand that there are like different positions to work this this practice Hmm. that they're surely aware of. But, you know, it's the same like. You know, you—for example—if you're a vegetarian, you know there are people working in the meat industry, but you'll never, you're never—you're never confronted by them because you know you are not hanging out in the same bars. Or,
1: <laughs> am I the vegetarian here or the meat eater? <laughs> it
2: doesn't matter. <laughs> or say conservative and democrat, or you know—I mean, it's I the... think I'm
1: the vegetarian even though I'm a meat eater. But, yeah.
2: What's yeah, I think like in general generally that's like you know like the world is more and more becoming like small circled like you know like people living in their own little community. It is. Mm. I mean I think it used to be like that then we had maybe like I mean at least in like for example Holland like we used to have like this huge division from Catholics, Protestants blah blah yeah. blah and then you had like the 60s and stuff and everyone was just kind of like, you know, it seemed to open up, but it seems that it's a complete illusion and uh, less and less people also true, like Internet algorithms, etc. Less and less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you're not you conf- put in a category. Exactly. You're, kind of you're not confronted with the actual other. And, and in this kind of practices, it's like, OK, you know, is also confronting for us and it's
1: yeah you get to welcome someone into some kind of really nonsensical art zone that yeah. they would never be in otherwise yeah but it also I don't know I, I kind of well, well this like the poten- the possibility that he's now going to go and find the podcast and, and be kind of angry is like it's interesting because it just makes it more about this performance of like the performance between us you know because he's just lying and I'm just lying yeah. and we're all just
2: yeah I mean it's also kind of because, of course, you also have this other side of the art world that just uh, accommodates this division like artists producing art, people selling it on art fairs, rich people buying it, hanging it in this kind of apartments. Mm. So, you have this kind of hierarchical line that you can, like this kind of classical hierarchical line within the arts. And I think most of the art still functions as this commodity yeah, in this yeah. kind of system. But I think what we try to do is kind of more look at the system. Yeah, like how do things wor- work and how... Uh, how can
1: you use that as almost a material to kind of work with?
2: Exactly, yeah. When when was like the first time that you actually kind of scammed your way into some? I mean, did you like do similar th- things as a kid? like?
1: Oh, you mean like viewing property specifically or just anything like that? No, just anything. No, like just anything. I mean just I used to, of- I was like when I was like twelve I was like really a big prank caller. Mm. <laughs> ah. I don't know if that's the same, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to call like just like companies out of the Yellow Pages with my friend and we would like <laughs> we would say horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> Did you?
2: Yeah. I I've always like when I was a kid, like we um, lived quite close by this like super luxurious hotel where like Madonna and Michael Jackson would stay. Oh wow! Um, and we would try to dress up and to kind of <laughs> see if we could enter. They just let us enter because you know we did it so often that they also kind of like the people kind of knew us and they were just like playing along. Like, hello, ma'am. You know, you <laughs> we were like twelve. And something else that I've I've done a lot is entering abandoned buildings, like uh, burnt mm. buildings and, uh, yeah, like I never did that. It. I wasn't that,
1: like, cool or mm. bold or confident. I'm still not. I'm still, like, apologetically showing up at luxury apartments,
2: <laughs> yeah. being like, hello!
1: <laughs> and I'm like, why can't I just go in and shit all over the place? But... Uh, yeah,
2: where is this kind of guilt coming from? <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
2: I mean, it's just a little bit of time. Okay, it's maybe not nice for these people that they think you're going to buy something and I, think, I know, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't care. I mean, it's just like, maybe it's just having done loads of shit jobs, but I think that's not a shit job. I think they get paid really well.
2: Absolutely.
1: I mean, they look great.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I wish I looked <laughs> like that. <laughs>
1: and um, last thing. What was he talking about? Some other development of theirs that you were yeah. like interested in? Yeah. Because I, I didn't yeah. know what he meant. Because but I they're knew rebuilding
2: that's... the Tacheles. And this is, yeah, this this super famous squad ah, yeah, in yeah, yeah. That's what I thought but I would, yeah. And uh, did we not
1: walk past this before? Or maybe maybe I was with someone else and we were talking about we, it.
2: We have talked about it. Um, yeah, I mean, this is like amazingly symbolic of like the whole kind of thing. Also, because, you know, this was like super famous, arty squad has, I mean, it was has been there for I don't know like 20 I don't know maybe 20 years. It mm. was like a bar and like it was like really a symbol of like the cool Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: And then presumably these developers forced them out and now.
2: Yeah, well, the city uh, forced them out and these developers built uh, uh, bought the building, but then they're making it like this million do- uh, euros pro- uh, properties and well keeping the artistic (laughs) feel of it so they keep part of the building and i've seen it because i passed by a couple of times so they they keep part of like the the, this facade even i think you know but like i don't know
1: artistic I mean, we're talking like graffiti and things, right? Well, you know? the whole or thing.
2: Have you never seen the Tachles? Yeah, you yeah, know,
1: I think I have. But like, I in my memory, it's like, it's just like a graffitied mess. No? Yeah,
2: but it has like, it had all this like metal sculptures sticking uh, out. Yeah.
1: But it's, I guess it's interesting how they're going to curate that.
2: Exactly. A facade. I mean, it's like... Like
1: what counts as an artistic
2: I mean, this is like the the, the top of, like, you know, this this is just so the top of what Kitsch is, you know? This is Mm. just like using this aesthetics to build a layer of coolness over something that is basically just like this huge commodity, it's just... Obscene,
1: yeah, I don't know, and surely, like, can you not just buy some apartment and it's already cool because it's in Berlin? Like, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, but Berlin, so people not think,
2: yeah, <laughs> Berlin, Berlin, the whole vibe in Berlin is seen as cool because of places like Tacheles, and yeah, I mean, I he he's the, living at Box Platz, the the guy who was. Showing us, us around, yeah. which was like the whole area. That the whole area was squatted, and uh, now sadly he cannot build an elevator because it's an old building.
1: Is that what he was saying? So he <laughs> he bought an apartment in an old building, and he's angry that he can't build an elevator.
2: No, I don't think he was angry, but it was it's more symbolic because that area, I mean, that has been like classic. Berlin, like everything mm. that people find cool in Berlin, it was like, you know, happening in that area, like full streets were squatted, there were parties everywhere. And he said he wanted to live in Berlin because he used to go there when he was young to go to parties.
1: Yeah. What age was I thought he was young. He looked young. When was this? Yeah. He's here because it's cool, I guess, but he's
2: ruining the cool.
1: He's the very person ruining the cool.
2: <laughs> Don't ruin my cool man! He did look man. cool,
1: he did look cool. Yeah. I mean, if it's cool to have an earring <laughs> and some tattoos, which I think it might be here.
2: Do you have tattoos?
1: No, do you? No. Why not?
2: I wanted to have one when I was like 13, with a wheat leaf on my ass, but
1: oh. I
2: was too young.
1: And do you still want that?
2: No, but I regret that <laughs> I didn't I, I couldn't find a to tour that would do it because now I was Because you were too young. Like, yeah. Or
1: because I don't know why. Yeah. Charming yeah. area. So Sema's fantastic book, Reading by Osmosis, Nature Interprets Us, is now available to buy online or at various physical bookshop locations. And there'll be an event in Berlin at the ICI, Institute for Cultural Inquiry, in January to expand upon this research. The event's called Art of Encounter, an evening on non-human art production, and will feature a lecture by Michael Marder and a discussion with ICI fellows Daniel Liu and Alison Sperling on the possibility and consequences of non-human art production. So check that out if you're in Berlin on January 20th. This series of Asset Rest has been made possible thanks to support from the Newbridge Project in Newcastle and Durham University's Politics of Urban Social Innovation Research Project. This will be our last visit to Berlin until 2020, so stay tuned for a change of context next week as I explore the world of private student housing in Newcastle. Lastly, as I mentioned earlier, Sema and I had previously viewed another property together, but my lack of technical know-how somehow led to the recording being silent. But I want to finish with the email that was sent to me on the night following our viewing which i think was very successful in the sense that i think he really believed we were genuinely interested in the apartment Um, this is the first time anyone had contacted me having done some googling and finding the podcast so i was quite excited but also especially disappointed that i'd messed up the recording and couldn't share the full story so his email read laura with great surprise and to my annoyance i had to realize that your today's visit was only pretended as a potential customer He then quotes the description of the podcast from the Asset Arrest website. This is already in the direction of fraud, since other facts of your inquiry were faked too. I like transparency and openness. If you had inquired in advance with the real reason, I might even have agreed to open the apartment for you. Since I myself co-produced a documentary about a famous architect, I know how valuable access to possible objects. But I would never lie to the contacts or owners like you did. I prohibit you from using any information and photos. In case of infringement, this will be prosecuted by our lawyers. I am happy to assist on your real home search if this should ever become the case, but nothing else.
0: Asset arrest. Making contact. Gaining access. Asking questions. Wasting time.